Hey, welcome to How to Write a Novel, take two. Because I was walking along this beach, the water's really high today, and uh, trying to clamber over this really difficult part, and I kind of smacked the side of the recorder and it erased everything. But I was just rambling anyway, so it's a good opportunity to not do that. So yesterday I played this clip by Mark Rosewater, the guy who uh, is the lead designer of the card game Magic the Gathering. Mostly just because uh, I really just think that was really interesting. I love to use the the different colors that he describes are so neat like to apply to people into situations. It's like, oh yeah, look at that. This connects to that, that connects to this. But I feel like it probably connects better for people who have played that card game. Because then when he's describing these colors and the way they relate to each other and are in conflict with one another, Fuck. It's very easy to parse that if you've played the card game because then, you know, the things that he's saying have a direct corollary to the experience of playing that game. You're like, oh yeah, that color does work like that. That does relate this way. Which is what I think makes it such a useful way to kind of parse situations for me, much more so than, you know, the different personality tests and stuff, which to me are just abstract. But I feel like it's probably the opposite. If you haven't played that card game, maybe that talk seemed abstract and hard to follow. But it's just something I thought I'd put in because uh, I just really found it interesting. So if it does connect with your brain, cool. But uh, I guess it doesn't really matter if it didn't because what I want to talk about today really only requires a little sliver of that talk. I really just want to talk about blue versus red, which essentially boil down to thought versus feeling. And I thought it was so interesting when I heard that talk because uh, he talks about the black color spectrum where that's like the self-interest, you know, the looking out for yourself, the just the basic tenets of capitalism, really. And having read, you know, Atlas Shrugged when I was 17 and I was like really into it. I'm like, oh yeah, finally, like someone is speaking my language, sort of, you know, <laughs> like Still not really, there was still a lot of stuff in it. Within two weeks I was already getting in arguments with my online Ayn Rand friends because they would just say weird shit and believe crazy crap that I didn't agree with. And I mean at the very basics of it, she has these tenets of uh, individuality and yet at the same time is like, by the way, everything I say is right and you need to agree with everything that I say because it's a unified whole. It's a, you know, this philosophy is all tied up and if you disagree, not only are you wrong, but you are morally suspect. <laughs> like it gets crazy so fast. So basically I was always just kind of in conflict with that idea of like, this is the closest thing I've found to somebody speaking my language, you know, at least it's not just, hey, here's all the standard ideas of morality, here's all the standard ideas of society, here's all the boring shit, because I never identified with that. So she had these weird ideas that I'm like, oh yeah, this is some crazy shit, and this seems a lot more in line with reality. Sign me up. But at the same time, there's like just the almost cultish aspect of the people that are into Ayn Rand stuff. Like her uh, philosophy is called objectivism. And I'm, uh, I'm a little proud when I look back that even at 17, even at 
a delicate, malleable age, even though I'd finally found my people. Literally in two weeks, I stopped using that term. I was like, I can't call myself an objectivist. I can't put this label on me. That defeats the whole purpose. I thought the whole purpose of this was to be a fucking firebrand, not to just follow somebody different, <laughs> you know? So I thought it was so interesting hearing Mark Rosewater's talk about the different colors of magic, where red and black are next to each other, they're allies, they believe in a lot of the same things, but the difference is that red isn't concerned with freedom as an intellectual exercise, isn't concerned with freedom as a means to an end. Red is concerned with freedom because there's no other choice. Because if you don't have freedom, you'll just fucking explode. And I was like, oh, there it is. Like, that is how I feel. It's like I come up with the reasons secondarily. You know, afterward, I'm like, okay, here's the reason why I think this. Here's the reason why I acted like that. But that always comes second. Because first is the feeling. The feeling that this is how it has to be, that I can't be constrained, that if I'm being held down, it doesn't matter what reason you have for holding me down, it's not gonna happen, <laughs> you know? It's not okay. And I thought that was interesting because that's also what's neat about that color wheel and magic is that all of these sides have a point, you know? You can relate to all the sides. Like, I'd say that the white part, which is just standard society, let's keep everything on the level, let's keep everyone safe, that's most people. Most people are just happy to be bland and happy to be told what to do as long as it means that everything will be safe and fine. And I, I really hate that. <laughs> I have only a begrudging respect for that because it's like, yeah, I can sort of see how I've benefited from this safe society. But the longer life goes on, the more times I get stamped on because of these fucking rules that are just trying to keep everything on the level, the less I want it, the more harm it seems like it's doing. It's like, sure, physically I'm fine. Physically we live in a safe world. Spiritually, mentally, it's fucking battering me about the head and face. <laughs> I just am like, you guys, what are you doing? Why do you think this is important? Like, why are you throwing your, your, what makes you a human being and throwing it in the trash just so that, you know, you don't have to worry so much about being stabbed <laughs> or whatever. So the white part of the spectrum is a tough one for me. I'm uh, definitely on the other end of that. Black, as I said, you know, I uh, thought I had more in common with for a long time just because they were the only ones speaking up. They were the only ones putting forth these philosophies of individuality even though their means and their ultimate goals are not quite the same as mine. Green is something I have a great respect for. Just the idea of just respecting reality, respecting the reality of how things are. And I think with green and blue, say. So blue is kind of standard nerd 101. Blue is like, I'm gonna think my way out of this. I'm gonna clever my way out of this situation. Oh, things in life aren't going so good? Think your way through. Oh, people are pushing you down, stuff's giving you problems? Don't worry about it. 
in the end, you'll come out on top because you're the smart guy and you'll, you know, come up with the answer. And I think that's just what all nerdy people default to is like, hey, that's your strength. That's what you do. That's how you win. And as I get older, I just find that that's more and more of a fallacy. Like I lean so much more toward the green side, which is just accept what you are and how you are and don't try to fight it. Don't try to mold yourself into something that you're not. You're never going to be happy. You're never going to win. Whereas if you just get in touch with the truth about yourself and about the world, then there you go. <laughs> You've done it. And just as like a very simple example, I think of like times in my life that I've been like going through some kind of crisis and battling through depression and you can't think your way out. I certainly never have. I just get caught for like, great, I'm still thinking about this after two years and nothing has changed. Like, when is the answer going to come? How, <laughs> how is this ever a solution? I don't want to wake up every day and have to think my way out of a mental cage over and over. It never works. Whereas, once I started like exercising, it's like I can sit down and think about something all day and get nowhere. I can do 10 push-ups and feel better. That's green in action. That's the, when I, how I learned that the physical reality of how your body feels and the hormones that are pumping through your veins, that's the truth. That's how things change. That's what regulates you. That's reliable. That's real. Where maybe once in a while you can really think yourself out of a jam, but but I just don't think that that's realistic, you know? I'm really moving heavily away from the blue side of things, which just seems like just people lying to themselves. Like, oh, don't worry, I'll figure it out. I'll think of a way out of this. Thinking that the mind is stronger than the body when it is not. At best, they can work together. But I think really, unless you've got your body on your side, your brain can do all the gymnastics it wants. It's not going to help you. It's not going to work in any long-term, sustainable, real way. But all that stuff is all still like, oh, you know, I'm thinking about why I agree or disagree with this. It's all kind of theoretical. I could be swayed one way or the other. The only one that I feel deep, deep, deep in my soul is my hatred <laughs> for the white part of the spectrum, my hatred for the rules and society and people that just follow the collective without considering what they're fucking doing and preferring to live that way. And the reason I feel that hate is because what's really in me is the red. What's really in me is the fucking AFI, the fucking fire inside. Which just to look at me or just to meet me probably doesn't seem right. It's like, oh really? You think you're red? You think you're the fire brand? I don't think so, my meek nerdy friend. And yeah, I can see why it doesn't seem that way on the surface, because I am... I mean, you just can't survive in society when you act that way. I remember my old friend Andrew, when I used to work at the comic shop way back in the day, he was like, man, you're amazingly even-keeled. Like, all these annoying people come in and do all this stuff that drive, would drive me nuts, and you just kind of roll with it. And I thought it was funny that he thinks of me that way, or 
characterized me that way because inside I was a boiling pot just fighting every day not to freak out, you know? It's like an unnatural calm because I know what's going to happen if I let the fucking lid boil over. And as far as the colors go in the magic scheme, yeah, it's like I could lean toward blue, I could lean toward green, I could lean toward black. I think where you really find where you really lay on the scale is which one isn't optional. Which one is not a choice? Which one are you glued to <laughs> beyond any ability to work your way out of it? And definitely the way that I've felt and the way that I've been ever since I was a little wee baby is red. It's the feeling thing. It's like if if I feel like I'm being constrained, if I feel like I'm being held down, if my place in life doesn't feel right and I don't feel like what you're doing is in my best interest, if I feel like you're holding me down, there's no discussing, there's no intellectualizing it, there's no sorting it out. That's where I'm gonna die or you're gonna die. <laughs> like That's where the buck stops. That is the end. That's an extreme way to put it because the reality in our society is that I just, you know, lose my temper at somebody. There's no blood sport, but there would be, <laughs> you know, there fucking would be. And it's just so interesting to have that clarified of like all of this stuff, all of these ideas that I've got specifically about writing, we'll say, because that's what this podcast is about. They all come secondary to how I feel. It's like, this is how I feel. Now, how do I explain how I feel? How do I make a routine out of how I feel? How do I take these feelings and arrange them into advice for writing? <laughs> you know, not just like for whoever's listening, but for myself. Like, how do I make this consistent? How do I not fall off this track? How do I deal with the feelings deep in me you know how do i not anger the fucking animal <laughs> and how do i keep it on task how do i follow my true self i was gonna wait for all these boats to go by but there's a dick load of boats so uh let's just power through shall we so with writing in specific, like I really do focus in on the feeling. Like I just, I really do find most writing crazily bland, super boring. Like I just, movies, books, whatever, I just am like, oh, I can't get through this, comics, whatever it is, TV shows. And that is one of the feelings I often have is what feeling is this person having? Like, where is the example of how they feel in life? Like, where is that moment? Where's the evidence that they have had a unique experience on this earth, that they have had a singular moment in time? And like, what is their feeling about being alive? What is their feeling about being an, a human on earth? How can you make a whole movie or write a whole book or a whole TV series or a whole whatever and never fucking get to that point? How can you never express how you feel about being here, you know, in an abstract way? 
But when something is just written by the books, just written mechanically, it's like, what the fuck is this? Why did you write this? What did you think the point was? And it's weird that I'm starting to come to the realization that some people never think about that at all. They apparently have some other thought about what the point of creating art is and what the point of writing fiction is and the, the point of anything that to me is utterly pointless. Like I can't even imagine why it's valuable if you're not trying to get to the core, if you're not trying to take the feeling you have that unique feeling you have and show it to me, then I don't know what the fuck you think you're doing. Because that's not only the blue intellectual side, I feel like that also slides right into the white side of things of like, uh, we'll just do this for people. Let's just do it for the people. Let's do it for the good of society. Let's do it because people, this amorphous mass, this faceless blob known as people, they'll like it, right? Like I, I've always thought that ever since I was like a teenager of just like like when you watch a story read a book and you just feel like that guy whoever wrote it is just hoping someone else will care he's just like I bet someone will care about this but it's clear that he doesn't care about this you know he's just hoping someone else will and that never works ever and when I say never works I mean never works for me because, like, again, I don't care if something is popular. I don't care if it makes a lot of money. How could I care about that? Why would I care about that? It's like this weird thing where, like, movie box office numbers have become important. Who cares about that? All that matters is what it meant to me. And that's all that should matter to you also. If that doesn't matter to you, then again, why? Why do you absorb these things? Why do you care? I wish I had a, <laughs> a theory, but I don't. It's like, what is your fucking, are you a robot? <laughs> like, are you, <laughs> what are you doing here? But yeah, all of my writing is based on feeling, as I guess has become clear if you've been listening to this series. Like, it's gotta feel right. The moment in the story has to feel right. The scene has to feel right. It has to feel like a place that I want to dwell in. If I'm just skipping past it, if I'm just trying to get to the next beat, then it's immediate instant failure, catastrophic failure. It's, that's, because the next scene can't possibly be the right place to go. It can't possibly be where we're trying to get to. If the stages on the way there were boring and weren't interesting and weren't gripping. And I mean gripping and interesting in an idiosyncratic way. Gripping and interesting to me, it doesn't mean the actual moment needs to be exciting or gripping on a surface level. Because that's a whole kind of writing that most writing advice seems to default toward, which is so bland and tiresome to me, where they're like, make sure there's always conflict in every scene. Make sure every scene is strictly necessary to the story. Make sure this beat goes to that beat. Structure it like this, blah, blah, blah. Can't have too much conflict. This is all shit advice. This is advice based on trying to build a watch. This is like clockwork. Like, here's how you create a watch. But it's not a watch. It's a fucking story. If you wanted to make a watch, go make a watch. <laughs> you know, get a different job. Because your careful little tinkering and your careful little, oh, make sure that the tension is like this and make sure this guy is acting like this. And I mean, it just, 
it's it's the bland action movie at that point or the bland romance story it's the bland whatever if it's not special to you if it's not unique to you if it's not an experience that you have had that you feel then it means nothing and there's a lot of people out there that won't be able to notice that it means nothing. There's a lot of bland people that maybe will be happy to fucking slurp down your bland shit. But I'm gonna catch you. <laughs> I'm gonna know. I'm gonna notice immediately. The fucking second that it happens, I can feel it. You can't get by me, <laughs> you know? That is not how I'm wired and that is not how I think. To me, it's, it's the feeling. It's all about the feeling. So, because I feel so ludicrously strongly about <laughs> this topic, I thought it was pretty interesting to come across someone who had the exact opposite opinion. And that's not something you come across too often when someone is just diametrically opposed to you but in a way that is well-spoken and quite well-described and quite understandable. That's what I think is interesting here. It's like, yeah, I'll rant and rave and fucking go nuts about shit that I believe. But I'm definitely interested in the other side and in trying to understand the other side and trying to see the common ground with the other side. So this guy, Andy Heath, old Andrew Heath that I mentioned a little while back, who he's got uh, this series of YouTube videos about like how to write a novel in three weeks was the famous one I mentioned. But he also has one called How to Write a Short Story in an Hour. And uh, I don't know where old Andy Heath is these days. This video is five years old. His uh, website doesn't appear to have been updated anytime soon. I don't know if he's still on the grind. I don't know if he's still in the game. I don't know if he's still writing. I would suspect that he's not, because what he's putting forth here is advice on how to write every day as a job. Like, how to make this into a predictable job where you can sit down every day and write and not have to worry about inspiration, not have to worry about waiting for the muse. To the point that he suggests that you don't. Let's, uh, let's just play this clip right now. So here's Andrew Heath describing why he does not let inspiration rule him, why he, in fact, waits for it to pass. Which again, I'd like to point out, don't mean to shit on this guy. To me, this is super fascinating and super interesting. So here's Andrew Heath. Now I'm gonna go to the next slide and we're gonna change gears a little bit. And um, this is more of a rant than anything else, but I think it's very important for you to understand uh, what I feel the role of inspiration is. A lot of my colleagues will argue that inspiration is very important, and I would argue that it's not. So I'll ask you another question that you'll probably feel is ridiculous. Um, do you think your writing is better when you're high on a drug or if you're uh, intoxicated with alcohol? Um, would you think that sober people write better than, than inebriated people? And the answer you'd probably come up with is, uh, mood-altering drugs, um, mind-altering drugs are probably not a good idea for writing and neither is inspiration. Uh, inspiration is one of those things that changes our state of consciousness and actually uh, impedes our writing ability. So if we go to the next slide, uh, we're talking about problems with inspiration. Um, a lot of people rely on it, but it's unreliable. 
you never know when it's going to come to you. Uh, you may wake up in the middle of the night and say, I've got a great idea for a short story, and a lot of times it's not a great idea for a short story. You're just really excited about it, and no one else would be. If you rely on short, uh, inspiration, you'll probably find that it just doesn't happen enough. If you want to write a lot, you're going to have to do it sometimes when you're not inspired. And uh, in my personal opinion, you should never write when you're inspired. It actually hurts your writing. So um, we're going to go to the next slide. I'm going to talk about how to overcome problems with inspiration. Uh, you certainly don't need inspiration to write. And I hit this home because most of the time you're not inspired. Most of the time you just feel normally. But you still have to write if you want to be a successful writer because successful writers write a lot. Uh, you can generally uh, pretty easily write short stories and get ideas without any kind of inspiration. And I would take this even a step further than probably my colleagues would and say that if you are inspired to write, it's better if you um, wait till that inspiration passes before you write. Just like you would wait until you were sober to drive. It's that important. Um, inspiration is, is a killer to writing. Uh, you need to write when you're not in this manic mode. You need to write when you're actually thinking clearly. Inspiration is a form of mania and uh, you need to wait until you're thinking clearly. Um, so that's all I'm going to say about inspiration. Um, obviously I can't tell you what to do, but this is my recommendation. Um, keep your ideas on the gray area of appropriate and inappropriate, and um, keep your mind level and clear away from inspiration. So as Andrew said, he doesn't think a person should wait for inspiration, which I agree. Way back in the very first episode of this podcast, episode zero, when I was going through my kind of writing history, and I played the audio version of my story, Black Coffee, and I described how Black Coffee came to me in the morning, I wrote it in the afternoon, I posted it in the evening, and I was like, that's fucking amazing. That's so great. I can't believe how easy that came. That is the definition of waiting for inspiration to hit. And that was 17 years ago, and that never happened again. <laughs> you know? That is not a way to live. That is not a way to work. If it happens, great, but it's like the lottery, you know? If you get one in your lifetime, good for you, but you can't count on it. You can't plan on that as a way to be a writer, as a way to have ideas, as a way to get writing done. So in that case, he's absolutely right. I absolutely agree. If you wait for that, it's a long wait for a train that is never going to come. But Andrew takes it really far. He's like, not only should you not wait for inspiration, you shouldn't rely on inspiration at all. And in fact, while you are in the throes of that mania, of the mania of the muse, you should you know, go have a glass of water, take a deep breath, take a walk around the block and wait for it to pass because it's like you're under the influence of a substance and that's no way to be a consistent writer. That's no way to write at a pace that will allow you to make this a career in order to just produce product. And I think he's on to something in his description because it absolutely is like that. It is like drinking a huge coffee or something like it is like being like having a couple of beer it's like you definitely feel different you feel under the influence of of the muse the muse mania 
I described also, I think, in that first episode zero, that that did happen to me two or three years ago, where I had this idea for a novel, and all day I couldn't walk half a block without having to stop and pull up my phone and write down one of the ideas, and I felt manic. I felt kind of crazy. But again, that happened two or three years ago. hasn't happened in that way since. It's a very rare occurrence. But what I think is different in our approaches is he is so very determined not to follow that feeling, not to follow that sense of the muse, not to follow that sense of inspiration, that he totally denies it. This is total just intellectualism over feeling. This is total blue over red. And that is not how I work. That is not it at all. What I have figured out for myself and what I try to foster every day is a little tiny bit of that inspiration, a little tiny bit of the muse. Because I find if I'm careful, if I'm mindful, if I move at a slow pace, and if I continue to write every day to give myself that opportunity every day. Like the the stable structure of what I do is to write every day so that that door is always open, so that when the muse is ready to hand me the drop for the day, I'm there to get it. But I still absolutely follow the feeling of inspiration, the feeling of of feeling, (laughs) you know? It's just that it's just a tiny bit. I don't wait for the big gushing bucket of it. I don't wait for the big waterfall. It's just a little drip every day. But I've found that with the discipline of sitting down and writing every day and with the idea that I don't need to write a lot each day, that I don't need to push, that there's no big hurry, I do get that drop almost every day. If not every day, you know, every two or three days. Something always comes. And to me, that's just the only way to write a story because that's the compass. That is the direction to follow. Whatever the feeling of inspiration is, that's where I move toward. Because just when you explode that out onto the grand scale, that's the only point. That's the only reason that I'm writing. That's the only thing I want to express is whatever is deep inside me, deep in my subconscious, deep in my fucking soul. I want to find a way to make that into a physical object, into a story that someone else can read. Because without heading toward that point, without trying to reach that purpose, without that goal, I'm just lost in the woods. It's like, well then why am I even writing? What even is the point of this? Why am I doing this? And it seems like, I mean, obviously I didn't post the entire clip of Andrew Heath, the thing's like an hour, but feel free to go watch it. It's pretty interesting. To him, the point is to have bulk, you know, to write a story every day, to to write enough that this can be your job, that this basically turning writing into the equivalent of going and working at a mill or something of like, yeah, just got to sit down and mill out my, mill out my hours, mill out my work. Just write more and more and more and just have enough. And I just, I can't even, I I just, I can't wrap my head around it. Like to me, that's not, I just wouldn't be a writer. I just wouldn't. I just can't combine those two things. The idea of taking a creative endeavor with, I mean, that's the thing is writing fiction 
It has so much potential. It's like crazy what you can theoretically accomplish. You can make things that will last for centuries. You can make things that'll change people's lives. You can affect people and touch people in a way nothing can. It's so abstract, but you can, through the medium of a story, you can put feelings and ideas and experiences inside another person. And to not, and if you're not trying to do that, I don't know what you're trying to do. You know, if you're just trying to give someone some light entertainment to fill up their day, if you're just trying to fill some space in writing that I, I just, I just don't, I can't even articulate it well because I don't understand. I don't fucking understand. <laughs> like, what, what is that? What is the point of that? I kind of think of, so I was a huge fan of that show Firefly as all good nerds are. <laughs> and, uh, and then the movie Serenity came out and I bought the novelization. Even that line I said earlier about waiting for, long wait for a train that's never gonna come. That's my favorite scene of that movie. But I bought the novelization just because I was so desperate for anything about Firefly, because that show famously got canceled halfway through season one, which in hindsight, maybe that's why it's so good. You know, it never had a chance to stumble. It, you know, once it got moving, those last five or six episodes are fucking crazy how good they are. And then that was it, the show was over. Just, you know, it had a beautiful corpse, it'll be beautiful forever. The movie, you know, movie's all right. I didn't like it as much, but it was just neat that there was a movie. And that novelization was written by a guy named Keith R.A. DeCandido, if I remember right. And I became a little bit fascinated in him for a moment in time because Writing the novelization of the Firefly movie is about the best work-for-hire job I could imagine, you know? It's like, there's nothing to this day, there's no TV show I like better than that. There probably never will be. I'll be a fucking 80-year-old man and it'll still be my favorite. So as far as work-for-hire rote-type work goes, it doesn't get any better than that. But I couldn't help thinking that still, even under those circumstances, even under... even with a project that interesting, I still couldn't understand why somebody would do it. You know, I couldn't understand why someone would take that job. And when I looked into him a little bit, like he's taken a bunch of those jobs. If I remember right, there is like a movie, it's called like Gargantua. It was like a Fox straight to TV Godzilla movie. And it was like a little notable because Adam Baldwin from Firefly was also in that movie. And Keith DiCandido also wrote the novelization of that, if I remember right. But I mean, just that there even is a novelization of that is crazy. Or in the Joss Whedon canon, there's a whole series of Buffy novels that I never read. I was a huge Buffy fan. But these novels, like who read those? Like, as I understand, like fucking Joss Whedon didn't even read those. He doesn't even know what they are or what's in them. You know, it's just, that's just some weird side Sweet Valley High style gig. And it's just like, who is writing these? What is this? What is this whole field of writing for where it's not anyone's unique take? It's not anyone's unique vision. It's just, here's something and here's another version of it. Like, you know, here's, here, put these handcuffs on and write this book, will ya? And I just, like, I can't wrap my head around it. Like, to me, that is just, that is writing just to pay the bills. It's just writing to, 
and I just, I'd rather not pay the bills, you know? <laughs> yeah, okay, everything I own fucking fits in one book bag. I'm using a 10-year-old smartphone with the fucking, the little letters on the keyboard are falling off. This recorder I've had for like seven or eight years. I don't have a smartphone. I don't have a cell phone plan. I don't have anything, <laughs> you know? But that's fine, you know? That's fine. I live a fucking thrifty life. But here I am, standing on a beach, looking at the mountains, not having to write a goddamn gargantua book, you know? Like, I just, what kind of writing is that? So I guess that's something, anyone who might be listening to this, any advice I might be able to give, any inspiration that maybe a person could glean out of this, it definitely needs to be clarified that I'm not talking about that kind of writing. That, I'm sure other people have advice for that kind of writing, but I can't wrap my head around it. I don't understand what that's all about. I don't understand why you would do that. I legitimately would rather work at a coffee shop or something, do something physical if I'm just going to have a mundane job. There was a part in the Serenity novelization where it's explained how Wash, the pilot, knows Mr. Universe, who's this guy that they know who uh, he can broadcast information, like he can hack TV signals basically and send information all around the galaxy. And it's never explained how Wash knows this guy. So in the novelization, it is explained that the reason Wash knows this guy is because Wash is an amazing pilot, but he was number two in his flight school. And the guy who was number one, he'd never met before, never heard of, and he's like, who the fuck is this guy? So he followed the trail back and researched, and that's how he met Mr. Universe, because Mr. Universe just likes fucking with shit. He just likes being a hacker. So he just was like, you know what? I want to give myself a flight certificate. And while I'm in here hacking the system, I'll make myself number one. And that was so cool. That was so clever. That was such a good explanation for why Wash knows Mr. Universe. And I looked into that and I found out that that was something Keith DeCandido made up himself. That was totally his own idea. And it's great. But that's the only moment where Keith DeCandido exists in that story. That's the only moment where you can see him. That's the only thing he did in that story that's not just writing a novelization of a fucking movie. And it's just a goddamn shame. It's like weird. And that was, you know, over 10 years ago now. I don't know where Keith D. Candido is today. Hopefully he's written something of his own. Hopefully he's written something unique. But to even go down that road, to to accept that that's the kind of writing you're going to do, that that's the kind of life you're going to have. Yeah, I'll write the Gargantua book. Yeah, I'll write the Serenity book. Yeah, you know what? Give me the next 30 pointless goddamn books. I'll write all those. That would never happen. I would never. Like, I feel like that's a difference just in basic mindset is when someone offers you a job like that, do you feel like, yeah, great, awesome. I've, I've got my foothold in. I've, I'm in... I'm making little steps. I'm a real writer. Look, I got a fucking, I got a paycheck. I'm doing it. I feel like to even take that first step just says so much about what you expect from your career, what you expect from life, what you expect to be as a writer. I would rather be obscure forever. I would rather never get a paycheck as a writer. I would rather eat the 10 chicken nuggets for $1.99 at Burger King 
and never be a writer at all, <laughs> you know? Because even if it sounds absurd, even if it sounds unrealistic, even if it sounds pie in the sky, I am shooting for the fucking, not the moon, not Mars, I'm shooting for a different universe. I want to write the greatest goddamn books ever. I want to write the books that change people's fucking lives. I want to write the books that people never forget, that they think about forever. And maybe I'll never do it. Maybe it'll take a long time to do. Maybe it'll only happen to like eight people in the world, <laughs> you know? Maybe I'll never be successful and there's like eight people out of seven or eight billion that are like, holy fuck, I like that book. That'll have to do because that's, that's what I want. That's what I feel. That's what I'm aiming for. And you can't get to a place by fucking accident. You have to see it. You have to want to be there. You have to fucking take aim and say, that's where I'm going. I don't care if it's fucking impossible. I don't care how fucking hard it is. I don't care that I've been working for 20 years and I'm nowhere yet. Because I might get there. Someday I might get there. That's the only fucking reason. That's the only reason to be a writer. That is it, man. If you don't fucking feel that, who the fuck are you? Why are you doing this? Why the fuck are you doing this? I'm fucking red! I'm red! Ha! And that's where I suspect that old Andy Heath, you know, it doesn't seem surprising that I didn't do a ton of research because I just, I don't fucking give a shit. There's no fucking way I'm gonna like his books. There's no way I'm gonna care. If I already don't care about 99.9999% of all this shit out there, I'm certainly not gonna care about this guy. There's just no hope. There is no chance. But it doesn't seem surprising to me that he doesn't seem to be on the grind anymore. Like, I think that's the double, reverse, triple sow cow, final flip irony. Is that by making the process of writing as mechanical as possible, as uninspired as possible, as like, okay, here you go, write the outline, get this many words per day, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. It's like you're stamping things in a big factory, except you're not a machine. You're a fucking person, and you can't do that. You just can't keep it up. There's no fucking way. If you don't follow that feeling of inspiration, if you don't have that little drop of like, yeah, oh, that feels good. I'm expressing something cool right now. I'm expressing something that is unique to myself. I'm excited about this. That's the feeling you need to have every day to keep doing this. If you don't have that, and if you aggressively deny that, and if you throw that away, I mean, do you really think you can just sit down and write every day for years? Like I said, that video is five years old. Five years for me is not going to feel long. It's like that quote from Garden State. You don't want to have the kind of life that feels way longer than you want. <laughs> you, know? you want life to go by fast because it was fun, because you loved what you were doing, because you were excited by it. So I think that's, I mean, that's, We'll see, I guess, right? Check in with me in five years. But in five years, I'm not going to be gone. That's like, like I said, that... That's what seems at this juncture to be the irony is that... 
by making things less mechanical, by putting less pressure on myself, by finding a way to get drip-fed the muse a little bit every day. It makes me want to write every day. It makes me want to focus on this every day. It makes me want to dedicate myself to this every day. And I'm not going to stop. Where when you just take writing as a dry exercise, you can't do that for five years. You can't do that for the rest of your life. How long can you do that for at all? It's like a, just a weird, torturous thing to do to yourself. And I just think it's missing the point. I think you gotta look at the bigger picture. You gotta try to figure out where you're trying to get to at the end of the day. Because if you just wanna be a writer in the same way that somebody knits, you know, <laughs> like, as just a mechanical exercise that you do day after day after day. I doubt that you're going to stick with that. And even if you do, what is coming out of the other end? Even if you somehow manage to grind out enough stuff to pay the bills, I doubt that you will, first off. <laughs> and if you're just like, blow, this is drab, this is miserable. Oh, there's a little inspiration. Please go away, inspiration. Not today. That's not what I'm interested in. That's not what I'm here to do. Does this really sound like a sustainable lifestyle? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I've changed my mind. I am insulting Andrew Heath. What the fuck are you talking about, Andrew Heath? What the fuck are you doing? Again, like, I respect... I respect anyone who expresses what they think and what they feel and the fact that he's trying to let people in on his process and let people in on his technique, I respect that greatly. But the actual content of that message, the actual, here's, the actual advice is fucking lunatic garbage. <laughs> it's like terrible. Uh, it's like... You're not sitting down to write in order to express to everyone how fucking boring you are and how fucking boring life is and how fucking boring stories are and how fucking boring writing is. It's the exact opposite. This is your opportunity. Like, there's nothing more abstract as far as art goes than writing fiction. I mean, I guess music. But music can't get across the complexity of ideas that a story can. A story can, like I said before, can change someone's fucking life. It can change their life. And if you're not trying to do that, if you're not even interested, if that's not a goal somewhere on the horizon, then fuck off. <laughs> and I guess that's my final word. <laughs> This is also where I think it's probably better that I don't plan out Song of the Day in advance. Because the last time I had a real good rant going, it was, uh, I had already pre-decided that I was going to play that Kevin Shields song from uh, Lost in Translation. So I had this fucking nice ranty podcast and then I ended with a slow shoegazer song. It did not fit at all. Even listening back, I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't like that song for this. <laughs> it doesn't fit at all. So today, let's end with something much more appropriate. Let's play Sick to Death by Atari Teenage Riot. Thank you very much for listening, and I will speak to you tomorrow!
Okay, let's go. Don't do this, please. 